0: Hi, we're here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff.
1: And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about why metals, fruit, and vegetables spark in the microwave and the 135 method for arranging your to-do list.
0: You'll also hear a couple lesser-known stories from the 20th century space race between the U.S. and the Soviet Union in the fourth and final installment of our Moon Monday miniseries with Dr. David Wormflash. Let's satisfy some curiosity.
1: Did you know that not all metal sparks in your microwave? And did you know that certain fruits and vegetables do? A lot of people use microwaves, so let's dig into some microwave physics. First off, let's recap what your TV dinner's favorite appliance actually does. A microwave produces, well, microwaves, as in a certain wavelength of electromagnetic radiation. That microwave radiation creates an electric field inside the microwave that does different things to different materials. For example, water molecules absorb microwaves, which makes them move around and create heat. But metal is a really good conductor of electricity, so it acts like a lightning rod and creates a stronger electric field than there is in the air around it. That electric charge wants somewhere to cool off, so it makes a beeline for another material with lower electric potential, like the plastic in your plate. And when an electrical charge connects between two surfaces through the air, that creates sparks. That's a thing we call arcing. The main thing that makes a metal microwave safe or not comes down to geometry. If there aren't any materials nearby, then no sparks form and the energy just goes back into the microwave itself. That can cause real damage, which is why you should never run an empty microwave. For example, a knife on its own or a spoon on its own can be safe in the microwave, But a fork on its own won't be because the tines will create arcing. But we don't recommend putting any metal in your microwave, by the way. This brings us to fruits and vegetables. Plants absorb minerals like iron, magnesium, and copper from the soil through their roots. If you put a vegetable with a bunch of minerals in the microwave, you've created a perfect recipe for arcing. That's because there literally are tiny metal particles ready to boost their local electrical field, plus the uneven geometry with all its bumps and angles primes it to carry that charge to a nearby surface. Boom, sparks fly. Sometimes the effect can be so strong that a blazing ball of plasma can form, like with grapes. As cool as this effect is, it's not the safest thing in the world. It can cause fires and fry the electronics in your microwave. If your veggies start to spark... Press stop and find another way to cook your dinner.
0: Like an oven.
1: It'll take a little longer, but I love oven-roasted vegetables.
0: Productivity hack alert. I've got a quick productivity tip before we get to today's guest. It's called the one-three-five rule, and it's a trick for organizing your to-do list. This comes from Alexandra Kavlakis, founder and president of online career platform The Muse. And this 135 rule helps you tackle 9 items in a day, which is not too many, but definitely not too few. Here's the gist of it. Take everything on your to-do list and split it up this way. Allow yourself to tackle one larger project, your 1, three medium-sized tasks, your 3, and finally five stragglers that are the little easy things to take care of. It's a little more ambitious than the Ivy Lee method we talked about last month, which I've totally been using by the way. But it's a great way to cross lots of tiny tasks off your list if you keep checking off five easy errands a day. If you couldn't get into the Ivy Lee method or any of the other ideas we've given you, then give the 135 method a shot. You can catch up with your to-do list. We believe in you.
1: Today's episode is sponsored by OnDeck.
0: No matter how you approach your to-do list, if you're a small business owner, getting access to capital definitely falls into the large project category. It's really time-consuming and challenging for small business owners to work with most traditional banks, since a lot of the time they'd rather just lend to larger, more established businesses. That's where OnDeck comes in.
1: OnDeck is the secure financing service business owners everywhere can truly rely on. They're 100% committed to small business owners with fast, easy, and tailored financing. Plus, their application process is simple and won't impact your personal credit.
0: With OnDeck, you can get funding in as fast as 24 hours, with term loans up to $500,000 and lines of credit up to $100,000, none of which require business collateral.
1: If you're a small business owner and need access to capital, visit ondeck.com curiosity right now. As a special offer just for Curiosity Daily listeners, you'll receive a free consultation with one of their U.S.-based loan specialists.
0: Apply online or by phone and get approved in minutes. Just visit ondeckacom slash curiosity. That's C-U-R-I-O-S-I-T-Y for your free consultation now.
1: Today is the fourth and final installment in our Moon Monday mini-series, where we'll teach you how the history of the moon has affected the world in some way. Today, we're going to focus on the so-called space race between the United States and the Soviet Union in the 20th century. Our guest will get into a couple stories from that era, really focused around two of the scientists who helped us get where we are today. I'm just gonna warn you right now that these stories are bittersweet and might even be a bit of a tearjerker. History in its finest form. Here's what Dr. David Warmflash told us.
2: We got a big, big, really striking difference between the American program and the Soviet program where the Americans are doing everything out in the open, launching on live television to the point where there was one rocket that was launching, trying to put the first American satellite into space. It just blew up on the launch pad and had the uh, Soviet leader Khrushchev just totally just loving that and for his propaganda and all that. You also had one person on backing really all the Soviet space program, all the, their, their ideas, how they put the first uh, satellite into space the first animal into space, the first human into space, first woman into space, the first time you had more than one person going up in a spaceship. This is all Sergei Korolev, who was the rocket genius of the Soviet Union, and his identity was totally unknown to the outside world because the KGB was trying to protect him. They thought he would be assassinated. So here you have the first dog in space, is like a dog celebrity, and is more famous than than the brains behind the whole thing which is which is Korolev and sadly he died in the around i think in 1966 and it was at that point that they finally released his name they said every single thing we've been doing since 1957 it's all because of one guy and they had a big state funeral for him in red square and all that but during his lifetime he was just like totally and there's like a really kind of sad and touching story that i spread through about two or three different entries about a scientist uh eugene shoemaker who was really got nasa started and by uh, his work in the u.s geological survey he figured out that this big crater in arizona that is called meteor crater is from uh, a meteorite impact and that all the craters on the moon are from impact events and he was able to demonstrate this while in the course of his Ph.D. work. And this kind of led him to found the NASA astrogeology program where they were envisioning that you should have astronauts who were not only test pilots, but scientists as astronauts. And he was slated to be one of the first scientist astronauts. But it turned out that he had Addison disease. He had adrenal insufficiency. So he he was um, eliminated in the, he was medically disqualified from the program. And the only scientist who was ever sent to the moon is Harrison Schmidt, who had a PhD in geology. But later on in the 1990s, he was doing his kind of geological exploration. They were coming around a turn in a rural part of Australia, and they were hit by uh, someone driving on the wrong side of the road, and he was killed. And six months later, there was a, a probe that was sent to the moon and they put his ashes on the probe. It was in lunar orbit for about a year or two, and then intentionally they crashed it into the moon so that they could take uh, seismic readings, as as they like to do all the time, to to learn about the geophysics of the moon. And his ashes were like literally interred on the moon, so it's kind of maybe poetic way. Uh, Shoemaker actually ended up on the moon, like the place he wanted to go to, to, to be the first scientist there. You know, so I have all kinds of stories like that spread throughout the book.
0: You can read all of Dr. David Warmflash's stories in his upcoming book, Moon in Illustrated History. You can also follow him on Twitter at Cosmic Evolution. You can find links to those in today's show notes, as well as links to the previous Curiosity Daily podcast episodes in this Moon Monday mini-series. This is the first time we've tried doing a series like this. So please let us know what you thought email your comments to podcast at curiosity.com or take a poll on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash curiosity.com, all spelled out. We would really appreciate the feedback.
1: Join us again tomorrow for the award-winning Curiosity Daily and learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Ashley Hamer.
0: And I'm Cody Goff.
1: Stay curious.
0: On the Westwood One Podcast Network.